We're going to start out with reading uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the uh, 2005 movie, you'll love the title, Monster-in-Law, Charlotte, played by Jennifer Lopez, finally finds Kevin, the man of her dreams, only to discover that his mother, Viola, played by Jane Fonda, is the woman of her nightmares. Well, in the scene from the movie, both uh, Charlotte and, and Viola get the surprise of their lives when Kevin makes a rather shocking announcement. Take a look. <laughs> You've been so quiet, Kevin. Oh, it's kind of hard to get a word in edgewise with you two. Oh, is he great or what? I tell you two, that's a little scary. Enjoy it while you can. You go, some more coffee. Actually, I was a little nervous about the two of you meeting. Really? Why? Well, because it's important to me. Uh, Mom, you're the most amazing woman I've ever known. And Charlie, I've never met anyone like you. You're real, you're honest. And although we've only known each other a few months, I, I, I feel like I've known you forever. I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is what are you doing for the rest of your life? What? God. Charlie, will you marry me? It's it, it's too sudden. She's in shock. No, I mean, I yeah. mean, I am, but seriously. Seriously. No, no, say no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. I'm so happy for you. Oh, oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> so pleased that you're going to be my daughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, congratulations. I can't believe it. I'm so happy for you. Well, uh, the book of Ruth is a rather unusual book because it focuses on the love for of all people, a mother-in-law. So what are the odds of the story of a Moabite woman and her mother-in-law making it within the pages of God's Word? I'm uh, continuing my sermon series this morning on different friendships of the Bible, and this morning we're talking about the friendship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Now, by way of background, hang with me for a few minutes. There was a Jewish family that lived in Bethlehem. 
they fell on hard times because there was a famine in the land. And so they packed their bags and they moved to Moab. Why? Because there was food there. And soon after arriving in Moab, a man named Elimelech died, leaving Naomi, his wife, as a single mom to raise two boys by herself. Those boys grew up and they fell in love with Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other married a woman named Ruth. But tragically, not too long after those marriages, both of Naomi's sons also died. And so 10 years are captured in the first five verses of Ruth chapter one. And this family now consists of three widows, three women thrown together through the circumstances of life who now have to try to pick up the pieces and move on with their lives. And I'm going to continue the story from Ruth chapter one, and I'll be reading verses six through 18. Says then she, meaning Naomi, started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, how we uh, thank you for this uh, stunning portrait of loyal love amongst relatives here in the book of Ruth. We pray that you would come to us now and illuminate the pages of your word on this Mother's Day, that we might apply them to our lives, and so that our families may grow stronger through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. So Naomi thinks, well, there's really nothing for me here. I might as well go back to Bethlehem, where at least I'll have family, and I'll have friends, and I'll have comfortable and familiar surroundings. 
and uh, her two daughter-in-laws go with her, but as they're kind of walking along, Naomi says, ladies, it just doesn't make sense for you to come with me back to Bethlehem because you're not going to find any husbands there. Jewish guys are not going to marry Moabite women. If you stay here in Moab, you might find a better chance to have a husband. Now, keep in mind that these widows were living in a time before there was Social Security, pension benefits, medical benefits, or life insurance policies. To become a widow was to become one of the poorest of the poor, which is why the Bible says over and over that we are to show care and compassion to widows. And so Naomi warns these young women, if you come with me, you're going to be penniless. There's a chance you might be homeless, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be friendless. And one of the daughters-in-law named Orpah says, you know, Naomi, as I think about it, you probably have a point. I'm young. I still have my whole life in front of me. And so she picks up her suitcases and she heads back home to Moab. But the Bible says that Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, clung to Naomi. Now, the Hebrew word for clung is, means to attach. I have to tell you, I've seen this with my own eyes. It especially happens at the beginning of the year in our preschool. When a child is dropped off at school and is squeezing her mama's heart, neck so hard and won't let go. I think today we call it separation anxiety. Which I sometimes wonder if that isn't more about the parent than the child, but that's another story. But then from uh, Ruth's lips come some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible about love and commitment. They're, these are words that are, are sung often at weddings, even though they have nothing to do with marriage. Ruth says, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death parts me from you. You know, if a movie came out about Ruth and Naomi, I have to believe there'd be this scene of, of Ruth and Naomi walking down the road to that old song playing in the background, Stand By Me. When the night has come and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see. No, I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, and the mountain should crumble to the sea, I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. Isn't that how it is within our families? We, we head down the road of life with no guarantees and that whatever may come, the good, the bad, the scary, and the ugly, we will stand together. Now, one thing is true. You can't pick your relatives. I, I know you know that's true, too. <laughs> but someone has likened the process of how you get your relatives to walking onto an overcrowded elevator, and then you discover by, by God's cosmic decree that instead of going off in your own direction when the elevator door opens, from now on, you must spend all future holidays, birthdays, vacations, and family reunions together. Now, if you think about it, Ruth made a rather uh, bad decision. Because why would a, a young 25 to 30-year-old woman give up her independence? Why would she want to give up her freedom to go to Bethlehem and live with her mother-in-law? 
Why would she want to so severely limit her options and the messy complications of life in living with your mother-in-law? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Friends, the reason why we do it is because that is how God loves us. This is a kind of love that builds strong families. This is a kind of love that builds strong Christians. This is a kind of love that builds strong friendships. This is the kind of love that builds strong churches. Now, the Hebrew word for love is the word hesed. And it's a rather complicated word because it has various uh, meanings. It can mean loving kindness. It can mean steadfast love. It can mean enduring love. And there are actually uh, two prongs of meaning to the word. The first prong suggests an affection an affection or warm feelings. The fact is God doesn't just love you, God, God likes you. How many of you remember um, several years ago when Sally Field won the Oscar for Best Actress at the Academy Awards and when she stood up to give her acceptance speech, she said, you like me, you really like me. Well, think about this, God really likes you. If, if God were to see you walking down the food aisle at Giant, God would call your name, run to you, ignore all kinds of social distancing, give you a hug and say, how's it going? To put it another way, God has your picture on his refrigerator. I have all kinds of pictures of my kids on my refrigerator, and I bet you have pictures of your kids and your grandkids and other relatives on your refrigerator. It's the same way in how God feels about you. Now, the second dimension of God's love is his covenantal love and commitment. That's the other part of Hesed love. God's love is a tenacious love, has a vice grip that will never let you go. You know, the Godfather movies tell the story of the Corleone family. These are immigrants who came to this country from Italy, and they have to push and shove and, and, and swindle and even kill to, to build and control their empire and to protect each other as family members. And what we learn all through the movies, all through the Godfather movies, is that if you mess with one member of the Corleone family, you mess with the whole family. Well, the exception of the killing part, our special bonds and friendships with relatives unites us, brings us together as one. We are bound together by the loyal, covenantal, commitment, love of God. So Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And what makes Ruth's statement even more remarkable is that Naomi was not the most pleasant person to be around because they arrived back in Bethlehem and Naomi goes all around to her relatives saying, hey, you can't call me Naomi any longer. Naomi, ironically, in, in Hebrew, means pleasant. She says, you must now call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. Does the face of any member of your family suddenly come to mind? Perhaps you work with someone like this. Or worse, perhaps you live with someone like this. One, one child wrote a letter to God that I think uh, sums up uh, the feelings in which she expresses these sentiments. She said, Dear God, I bet it is hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can't do it. <laughs> well, it was to this Debbie Downer personality that Ruth committed her loyal and unshakable love. And if you think about it, Ruth had all the same problems that Naomi had. They both were widows. In fact, 
Ruth is, is miles away from her home and country and relatives. But those same stressful circumstances that brought out kind of the worst attitude in Naomi only strengthened that sweet servant spirit of Ruth. One woman was talking about a, a, a thawing of this icy relationship that she's had with her mother-in-law and how much it had actually improved over the years. And then she said, sort of tongue-in-cheek, most of all, I'm grateful that she will be the only mother-in-law I'll ever have to put up with. <laughs> the Bible says this in Galatians, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You know, life can be complicated. Life can get sometimes downright messy. And people will often find themselves in a situation that they find it very difficult to have to deal with, maybe even more than they can handle. You know, God never meant for us to live in isolation or to have to walk alone by ourselves. God instead meant for us to live in community where we could support each other, encourage each other, and hold each other up as friends. Reminds me of what happened after uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and his guide, a Nepali man named uh, Tenzig Norgay, uh, were the, who were actually the first people to, to climb up to the summit of Mount Everest. Well, apparently on the way down from the 29,000 uh, foot peak, uh, Edmund Hillary slipped and started to fall, and the way he was falling, he most certainly would have died. So uh, Tenzing Norgay was able to uh, think quickly and, and dig his pickaxe into that frozen ground. He braced the rope, and he kind of uh, linked he and uh, Edmund Hillary together, and he saved uh, Edmund Hillary's life. Well, they reach the bottom, there's a media storm, and they're, and they're making a big fuss over uh, Ten, Tenzig Norgay's heroism. But he was a rather humble man, strangely unmoved by it all. And so to all the questions posed to him, he simply had one reply. He said, mountain climbers always help each other. Mountain climbers always help each other. And as I heard that story, I thought, what a, what a beautiful picture of Ruth and Naomi. What, what a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. We are to bear one another's burdens, help carry the load for our brother or sister or mother-in-law when they can't carry it alone. So I'll ask you this question. What would it mean for somebody that you, you, would not let them go? It's about walking with people through trials. It's to literally help them carry a load that they can't carry by themselves. Why would we do these things? We would do it because Jesus Christ did it for us. Jesus bore all our burdens. He bore all our sins. He bore all of the tragic circumstances of our life on the cross that's behind me. We do it for our relatives simply because these are the people whom God calls us to care for. Well, Ruth and Naomi continue their journey and they return to Bethlehem. And then Ruth has to go job hunting. And so she drops her resume off at different businesses. But the only job that she can find is as a gleaner in the fields. Now it's a job that's gonna have her outside under the hot sun all day long, bent over, picking up stalks of barley. If you're a mom out there of small children, in a lot, a lot of ways you're a gleaner because you spend hours of your day bent over 
picking up little things. You may have a master's degree. You may have skills and abilities and talents and experiences, but you know what? Most of your day is bent hunched over, picking up little toys, picking up little pieces of food, wiping noses, changing diapers, holding little hands. But it's how you show your loyal love. There was a, there was a teacher who was giving her second grade class a lesson one day on the magnet and what the magnet does. And the next day, the teacher had this test and had this question. She said, my name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? You would be surprised. She went home, and just about every kid in that class, guess what name they put down? They think they put magnet down? What, what name they put down? Mother. Of course, you know and I know that, that, that mothers are more than just magnets. To be a mother is, is a divine function. To be a mother is to be the bearer of life. And to be the bearer of life is what God called Ruth to be. You know that field in which Ruth was gleaning? It was owned by a man named Boaz who happened to be a relative of Naomi. And one day Boaz is walking through the field and he sees uh, uh, Ruth and he's kind of taken with her and they form a friendship, but there's no fireworks of romance. And so one night, Naomi sits Ruth down and says, now listen, Ruth, since uh, Boaz hasn't made his move yet, we're going to have to initiate a preemptive strike. Tonight, you're going to dress up in a bridal gown. You're going to sneak into Boaz's bedroom while he's sleeping, and you're going to sit at the foot of his bed. When he wakes up in the morning, all he's going to see is you smiling and batting your eyelashes back at him. Pretty ingenious plan, don't you think? Sure enough. Boaz woke up the next morning to Ruth humming the wedding song. And not long after that, wedding bells rang as Ruth and Boaz were married. And then a while after that, the stork pays a visit to their home. A baby is born in Bethlehem. A baby is born to a young woman named Ruth whose life was at a dead end. She had no hope, no future. In fact, she wasn't even an Israelite. But a baby is born in Bethlehem. And the baby of Ruth was named Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. So imagine that. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David the king. And eventually from David's lineage was born a young boy named Joseph. And he took a wife named Mary. And they had a baby named Jesus. You tell me there is no God. There was a memorable Time magazine cover from a few years ago. It showed a picture of Billy Graham with his son, Franklin Graham. And the article inside talked about what a troublemaker Franklin Graham was when he was growing up in the mountains of North Carolina. And the article stated, instead of being like Billy's kid, he was more like Billy the kid. His hobbies were hard liquor, automatic weapons, and evading high-speed uh, chases from the Montreat uh, police. Well, his mother, Ruth Graham, got so frustrated with him, and, and especially his smoking habit, that she once emptied an ashtray filled with cigarette butts over his head while he lay sleeping on the couch. Another time, he left home 
without asking permission, and when he returned, she locked him in the trunk of the family car. Now, I have to tell you, I find it extremely encouraging to know that Billy and Ruth Graham struggled as parents. But you know what? Nothing is too wonderful for God. And there is hope for us as moms and dads. Because today, you probably know this, Franklin Graham is the director of Samaritan's Purse. It's a Christian international relief organization. It sponsors, as one of its many ministries, Operation Christmas Child, which we as a church has, have participated in. Remember, we prepare those shoeboxes for toys of underprivileged kids around the globe. So let me ask you as I close. What do you give the mother who has everything? Well, you give her dinner, flowers, candy, a call, a text. But more than these, you give to her the loyal and loving commitment of God by living a life that bears witness to the presence of power of him in your life. May it be so for each and every person in this room. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we are uh, so thankful that you hold on to us with that Hesed love that will not let us go. And if we could uh, bottle your loyal love, uh, certainly on that label would probably be the, be the face of our mothers. Through thick and thin, we have been loved. Whether it's when we flunked geometry or got drunk or got pregnant or ran, ran away from home, or things uh, far less uh, severe than that. Lord, we thank you for this marvelous mirror of your unconditional love in our, in our lives, looking back at us. And even if not through our mothers, it is you, it is you who have held us up through your abiding spirit. As we gather as families today, Perhaps there are some overdue words that need to be spoken. Words like, thanks, Mom. I'm so proud of you, Mom. Mom, I'm sorry. Mom, I love you. We also, God, pray for our moms who from their labors rest and are now there with you in heaven. And we thank you for the promise that one day we will be reunited with them through Jesus Christ. We pray for the moms who are still active here on earth. We pray that this Mother's Day would be an encouragement to them. May they know that the work that they are doing here on earth is of you. And may they always believe that you still work miracles in families as you did in Ruth and Naomi a long time ago. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.